record for Cody. Alright, thank you guys very much. We are get this thing going. We are still in the Renaissance, but we're reaching the end of the Renaissance. Two more weeks of Renaissance. Um, and in these last two weeks, I mean, it's been wobbling out of control for a little bit. The last two weeks, really kind of kind of drop off the edge in, 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 in some different things. Um, there's a, and hopefully we talked about there's some, uh, there's some really neat stuff going on during, during this time period. But it's also a time period where things really are starting to crumble. You can hopefully see why there was a reformation coming, why there are so many people, in, not just outside the Catholic Church, but within the Catholic Church saying, we've got to do this differently, guys. After, and, and we talked about this, after uh, the fall of Rome, after the Middle Ages and things, things kind of broke into smaller kingdoms, even in city-states, we're starting to coagulate back into, into empires again. And so we're going to see the growth of some new empires, even specifically today. 1469, this is kind of where we left off a little bit last week. Fernando II and Isabel unites Spain into, uh, into an empire. Why, will you get this look in your face? The oh, the music? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hopefully those of you who are, why am I looking at the computer when I'm talking? Hopefully those of you who are listening to this can hear the, the worship practice in the background. Hey, can you hear me? Anyway, um, if you notice, the European map has shifted, and, and you're seeing more large blocks of color. Um, more people trying to get larger clumps of land, not the least of which is this Ottoman Empire that has grown rather significantly now in the last couple of decades. But 1469 with Isabel and Fernando, you're going to get another crucial change. Teenagers, teenagers, King Fernando II of Aragon and Queen Isabel of Castile married at the urging of Isabel's friend and confessor, Tomas de Torquemada, this, this Dominican that she's liked and, and been friends with for years. As a result, by the way, if you want a nice little love story, I'm not going to go into it today, but if you want a nice little love story, they made us read about these guys when I was learning Spanish. This is actually kind of a neat story as to their parents didn't want them to wed, but they genuinely loved one another. And you go, this is actually kind of nice. There's some nice moments. We don't have time for that. <laughs> they were cousins, so they had to get this special dispensation from the Pope because cousins aren't supposed to marry. You get, like, one-eyed children and things like that. So, Which, by the way, we're going to see a little bit more as Europe goes on. Too many cousins intermarrying. By the time you get to World War One, it's messed up. But they needed a special dispensation from the Pope to do it. So luckily, they had a Spanish cardinal named Rodrigo Borja, Borja, who was really good at bribing popes. And so he got that special dispensation for them so that they could get married. I love Spain. So as a result, Castile and Aragon became one entity. And you start getting this nice little block of Spanish empire going on here in the Mediterranean now. Kind of huge. Um, and now that they've got this big block, now that they've got these two wealthy kingdoms coming together in one wealthy kingdom, they decide that they're going to deal with all the internal issues, focusing on how to fix things. So, 1478, the Spanish Inquisition is formed. And yes, get it out of your system. Those of you that like Monty Python... Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's a whole Monty Python gag about, you know, oh, we're, we're very intense and judgmental, sure. Spanish Inquisition is formed. A large part of what they're trying to do is focus on fixing Spain spiritually. Uh, not just sociopolitically, but saying, how do we get ourselves fixed? If you remember, there was this large Jewish population in Spain. This, at this stage, Spain actually has the largest population of Jews in all of Europe. Which, of course, is a problem, right? Because Jews are evil. Why are Jews evil? They have money because they're not necessarily part of the church and they don't have all the usury laws. They have money because they tend to stick to themselves and they don't borrow money from other Christians and things like that. So their communities are relatively stable. They don't tend to get the plague as much because they don't interact with a lot of people. Why else are Jews evil? They killed Jesus. Right? Isn't the Bible very clear that the Jews are the ones that killed Jesus? <clears throat> okay, anybody want to vote? Who actually who actually was in charge of nailing him to the cross? The Romans from the city of 
Rome where they keep the Pope, so that can't be right. It's the Jews, right? Ah, bear in mind, I'm being facetious. We don't think the Jews are evil, right? Okay. But they thought the Jews are evil because they killed Jesus because somebody killed Jesus, and it can't be the Romans because that's where we keep the Pope, is in Rome. So it's got to be the Jews. But there's also that one last little orangey stronghold, peachy stronghold at the bottom of Spain called Granada. That these are Muslims stuck in Spain. For the last 780 years, they've been fighting Muslims, or 770 years, they've been fighting Muslims, trying to get them out of Spain. So they're like, how do we get rid of these people? So the monarchs are determined, we're going to fix this. We're going to kill them, we're going to expel them, we're going to convert them, but we're going to get these Jews and Muslims out of Spain one way or another. By the way, converted Jews are called maranos, meaning pigs, from the Arabic word muharam, meaning forbidden. You should hopefully be familiar with, at least a little bit with the word haram, meaning bad stuff. That's what Muslims refer to as all the stuff you can't touch, all the stuff that's dirty, all the stuff that's bad. So the Spanish at this time are saying, Jews, they're pigs, because pigs are yucky in, Ju in Judaism and in Islam. So it's kind of a little clever little play on words. So these are converted Jews, not just non-converted Jews. If you convert from Judaism to Christianity, they call you a pig. So yay to convert. Yay to convert, right? And the converted Muslims are called moroscos, i.e. Moors. Why are they called Moors? Remember, anybody remember why? You've heard the term Moors, you know, the Moors invade Spain, Moors. From where they came from, in Mauritania, over here in, in Africa, which is why there's a place in Mauritania still called Morocco and stuff. It's it all comes from that same word that Moors from Mauritania. Anyway. So you convert a Jew or a Muslim to Christianity, and of course, how do you tell that these pigs really understand what it means to be a Christian? That exactly, that's where the Dominicans come in. Because if you remember, the Dominicans were the guys who were who wanted to to connect uh, outreach to people with genuine understanding of, of, of the Bible. It's the, the, the Dominicans who studied, 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 and then also took that out. The Augustinians did their study, 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 and stay where they are. The Franciscans go, study nothing, let's go help people. The Dominicans go, study, study, take it, take it, study, study, take it, take it. Hyper-simplified way of looking at that. What were you going to say? No, I, I guess I was just wondering, because um, the Dominicans even earlier on, all the dogs of God. Are they uh -huh. ever a nice outreach group? Or even from the get-go, was it more in your face? Oh, no, no. They, they Actually, they start off very intense. I mean, they're, they're the dogs of God because they were so dogged about this, and they went out to get people and bring them in, like a dog goes and gets the quarry and brings it to you and stuff. It started off uh, as, as trying to be, something Domingo was trying to be very outreachy oriented. Um, very passionate about sharing the gospel. Um, they were used as inquisitors because of their of their learning and things. But I, I don't think that they, that we should say that they started off as being that intense. It, it's not it's not what, it, what originally it was intended for. But yes, but again, I go back to I, I don't have the slide here. But remember when we were first talking about the different kinds of of monks and the different vestures and things. There's a reason why, even in today's mindset, we, with a Western eye, tend to see brown-robed monks as the nice guys and black-robed monks, monks as the scary bad guys. You know, the Jedi wear brown, the Sith wear black. There's a reason why this, and there's a lot of it stems from the Franciscans running around going, how can we help? The Dominicans going, sorry, I gotta torture you. You know, so it's, it's, it's a little bit different. I should say, though, that the point of the Spanish Inquisition, just like with the medieval Inquisition, and with the Portuguese Inquisition, and with the Roman Inquisition, the later German Inquisition, all the other Inquisitions, the point of it was to judge the orthodoxy of Christians and to correct where necessary. That's the idea. We want to make sure that Christians actually know what they're doing, and we want to correct them if they need to. But it's not just about punishing people. It's about correction. Contrary to what we tend to think, the Inquisition did very little physical coercion, especially at the very beginning. They were more like school teachers, and nope, that's not the way to do this. Let's go to different parishes and make sure that the, that the priests are teaching it correctly, people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, 
as we've talked in the last couple of centuries, especially the last couple of decades, what the church thinks is orthodoxy may not be what you and I agree with. For instance, if they found that you were teaching your kids to pray, you'd get in trouble. If you had a Bible or any scrap of a Bible with you, you'd be in trouble. Because that's for the church to do, not for you guys to do, right? So, I mean, there's, there's, there's some stuff that they would get in your face about, but their point was not to coerce at this stage of the game. In fact, the Spanish Inquisition began by freeing a lot of people. Pope Sixtus emphasized that under the medieval Inquisition, there are a lot of people that got falsely imprisoned and falsely accused of things. He's like, first thing you guys got to do is review all those old cases and see, have these guys really gotten a fair hearing? I want you to be freeing a lot of people. Do this right. This is why we're handing this to the Dominicans and saying, do this right. Fernando and Isabel say, let's... We, we don't just want to beat people, we want them to be correct. So, it started off with a lot of freeing of people, which is kind of the opposite of what we tend to think about when we think about the Spanish Inquisition. Having said that, that first auto de fe, which is uh, act of faith, the public forced act of penance, where they come and they say, publicly we're going to show that this person is penitent by beating the snot out of them or killing them publicly. At that first auto de fe, six maranos, six converted Jews, were burnt at the stake to get them to confess their sins. So you got to stop and remember why people are being burnt at the stake. Is it because that's a mean way to die and people are just nasty? What is the purpose of burning somebody at the stake like this? Why do it publicly and why do something that takes a little bit and hurts a lot? To scare other people. Okay, that's why you do it publicly and make it painful to scare people. But what about these people being burnt? Yeah, just like in the Old West, I mean, hangings were a public thing that you used to scare people. And by the way, it worked very nicely. It was a nice deterrent. But you also always gave the, the, the hanged person the opportunity to make one last statement. And there was always a, a pastor or a priest on hand to say, do you want to confess anything? And this is your one last chance to, to get yourself right with God. The whole point of this is to say, get right with God. In fact, I'm going to kill you not instantaneously, because I want you to take the opportunity to get right with God. Confess what you've done so that you die and go to heaven. That's what I want. So I'm trying to force you into doing that. Now you might sit there and go, ew, but hopefully you are sitting there going, ew. But the idea was, I'm trying to save your soul. Alright. Got to take a step away from Spain just for a second, because i got to talk about this. Funky stuff going on in, in Russia at the time. For years, the Rus, all these different tribes up here, had been vassals, uh, puppet states, from the Mongol Golden Horde. The Golden Horde is stretching all over the place. They're not as strong as they used to be. They're getting to be more like bureaucrats and things, but they're still very, very powerful in Asia. But by 1480, the leader, the, the prince of the Rus that are in Moscow, in Moscow, a guy named Prince Ivan III Vasilievich, this guy says, you know what? I don't think the Golden Horde is as strong as it used to be. It's starting to fragment. They're, 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 they're wearing a lot more suits and ties and a lot less armor. You know, I, I think now's the time that we can all come together, and if, if we work together, I don't think we need to be part of the Golden Horde anymore. I think we can be the Rus. So they come together under one banner, and he calls himself a Tsar. What's a Tsar? You've heard the expression. You've heard the word. What does it mean? What is a Tsar? Where does it come from? Anybody know? Yes. It's, a, it's the Russian version of the Latin, Caesar, which came from being born Caesarean section, i.e. being cut. But um, So I, I, ironically, Caesarean section is named after Caesar. Caesar's named after Caesarean section, even though the Caesarean section hadn't been called that yet. Anyway. Um, but because Julius Caesar was called Caesar, and then a relative of his... Augustus took the name Caesar to point back to Julius Caesar. Caesar has now become kind of synonymous with emperor, even though technically it was a name. Technically it was just a description of how he was born. But now it's become all about emperorness. And so if you want to call yourself an emperor, you call yourself Caesar or Tsar. So that's why he called himself a Tsar. Anyway, but he broke away from the Mongols, pulled all the roots together, and they created this Russian empire. And it got big, stretched out all over the place. Now, part of it, though, in Siberia, it may be big, that doesn't mean there's a lot of people in that part of it. 
you know, miles and miles and miles, days worth of ride, and not meet anybody. But still, it's all part of one big Russian confederation, Russian territory. And that's going to become very powerful and very important later, which is why Ivan became known as Ivan the Great. Ivan the Great. Not Ivan the Terrible. That guy comes later. later. This is Ivan the Great. So, you'll notice from now on we've got this Russian empire going up there in the corner. 1481, Pope Sixtus issues a decree called the Eterni Regis, the eternal kings, or the eternal right of kings, trying to broker this peace between Spain and Portugal, because these guys are the kind of the coming thing at the moment. These are the ones who are suddenly getting very, very rich. Why is Portugal getting very, very rich? Because of the slave trade. They, they are the ones that have that, that little tip in Africa, and they're getting slaves right and left and selling them. They're making buku money. And Spain, Castile and Aragon just came together, and you go, these guys are starting to make a lot of money. So trying to broker peace between these guys, King Fernando of Spain and King João of Portugal, Sixtus says, I'm going to come together with this treaty, and I'm going to affirm this treaty that you did, that you signed back in 1479, and here's what we're going to do. Fernando, you have sovereignty over Castile and the Canary Islands. Because João was saying, technically, I think I own Castile, not you. Fernando, you're from Aragon. You're only married into it. Technically, I'm part of the family. I should get Castile. The Pope says, no, no, no. Fernando gets all of Spain. And the Canary Islands, which are actually right around here, on the coast of, of, of Africa. You guys did that. João, you get sovereignty over the rest of Africa and everything to the east. Okay? You don't get anything on your Iberian Peninsula. You're still stuck in that little itty-bitty gray spot right over there. That's all you get. But you get all of, anything you can take from Africa and knock yourself out. Does that seem fair? Yeah, but who cares? The Pope has already declared that they're spoils of war. If they're not Christian, you can enslave any of them, right? In fact, you should. God wants you to enslave them because they can either then become Christians or they refuse to be Christians. And if they become Christians, then you did a good thing by enslaving them. And if they don't become Christians, then who cares what happens to them? They're pagans. Right? Do you see why, again, the church has kind of lost its way as to how we're supposed to be sharing the good news with people, the good news of freedom in Christ, the good news that all men are supposed to be brothers in the household of God. Remember, remember all that stuff? That's all kind of gone out the window, right? The church has now just become big business. We've got Pope Sixtus, making, what, did I say 100 million a year off of his brothels? This is not a happy, happy, good church. This is not a good place to be. By the way, this particular ruling is going to get real interesting once you open up the door to the Far East. Who gets the Japan's? Who gets China? Well, obviously Portugal, right? Everything to the east is Portugal's. Spain, you get the Canary Islands. Portugal gets every other continent we ever find. That starts getting really, really colorful. We're going to need to revisit this in a little bit to find out what we're going to do. Aren't the, are the still around today? Is that what's going on in Spain right now with the stuff? Well, there's still some ethnic identity issues going on, yeah. But And, and Span, uh, if you're in Spain, proper Spanish Spanish, they still refer to as Castilian or Castilian Spanish. There's... I did, Castilian. Uh, I actually had three different Spanish teachers in college. One who learned Spanish, um, like in Spanish classes. One that learned Spanish in Central America. And one that learned Spanish in Spain. And it was fascinating, the differences. So like the, the first Spanish teacher taught us, you know, con Dios, adios, all this kind of stuff. And then the second Spanish teacher from Central America goes, nobody says that. They always say, ciao. That's Italian. She's who cares? That's what they say. I'm going to teach you what they actually talk like in Central America. And then the third one is it's totally the reason. You know, I'm going to talk to, we're going to use vosotros. I'm like, man, we, we never use that. Yeah, we're totally using that. You know, and, and you lift when you when you when you talk. It's just bizarre. It's very different. Zaragoza. That one always made me tickled. Zaragoza or Zaragoza. Zaragoza. Anyway, okay. Anyway. Uh, but they call that Castilian. So, uh, right, Spain is focused on its wars with Granada, right? They're trying to dislodge the Muslims from Granada. So, 
Portugal doesn't care about them at the moment. England is engaged in that War of the Roses, that civil war. Remember we talked about that between the different houses of uh, uh, Lancaster and York? France is focused on its affairs in Italy, and you'll notice France has taken some of northern Italy, now they're playing in Naples. Pardon me? Rude. But you see, though, these, again, large swaths of color, where you've had all these little city-states, all of a sudden you get this big old green Ottoman Empire. You get this kind of brownish swath of Spain. You get this blue that, that France is trying to do. You, you get this large Russian Empire. Everybody's trying to carve out their own empires. Poor little England got bounced back to England. They're like, you get an empire. Don't worry, they're going to get empire in a sec. They're going to get buku empire. But right now they're just stuck in their own island. They don't even have all of Ireland. So. But, but um, Portugal, can, at this stage, can pretty much do anything it wants. It's got... It, nobody is fighting against it. So it's like, I'm going to go play in Africa. I get holdings all around the coastline in Africa, and I'm going to get slaves all over the place. Especially since God himself, i.e. the Pope, God himself has blessed this. Because we've given kickbacks to the Pope. This is awesome. It's great to be Portugal at the moment. You are the coming thing. Spain is growing. France is growing. That's all nice and good. Portugal. When you guys think world power, you guys think Portugal, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. 500 years from now, I don't know. Are, are we going to say world power? I'm going to think China. I'm going to think America. Probably not. Well, I do think that world, like, when I think of Portugal, you want to talk about explorers and stuff like that, but that's old Portugal was big back in the day. But back in now, the day. Now it's all us. All right. 1482, Torquemada named the Grand Inquisitor of the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, his grandparents were actually Jewish converts to Christianity, but sincere ones. And he appreciated that, but he also knew, he also knew because of that, he knew even family members who didn't take that as seriously. He was very familiar with the fact that there was a strong Jewish community in Spain that didn't really believe in Christianity, even though they were Moranos, even though they technically had converted. So he took this very, very seriously. It's like, I'm totally the guy, and I'd been confessor to Isabel, right? I'm the one that suggested that she marry Fernando. So I'm, I'm kind of the guy. His name has become synonymous with torture. If you're not familiar with the word Torquemada, you should be, because that is one of those names in history that people go, this guy is the most vile human being who ever lived. So was his purpose that if you said that you believe that Jesus is the Savior, mm -hmm. he would torture you to, to test you? Or Not necessarily. I don't understand. That's that. right. If there was a question about what, very few people would, would question you, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? It's more like, are you a genuine Christian, i.e., are you a, a happy member of the Catholic Church? Do you believe that the Pope in Rome is the vicar of Christ? Those sorts of things. Um, but it really only came to play if, if you were accused of something like witchcraft or like practicing Judaism. We didn't see any smoke coming out of your chimney on Saturday. So you were honoring your Sabbath, right? You Jew, right? You're a converted Jew, and we didn't see smoke coming out of your, your chimney on Saturday, which means we're concerned that maybe you're practicing your Judaism by not cooking on Saturday. So we might have to examine your life a little bit. Um, Sarah, uh, Ben was saying the other day that you had a really sick cow, and then it got better. What did you do? Did you do some magic to make your cow get better? We might have to investigate you. Randy, um, Nikki said she saw you out late at night, one night. But your wife says you were home. In fact, your neighbor said you were home. But Nikki's pretty sure that she saw you out late at night. How can you be two places at the same time? Maybe you're a witch. Maybe we need to investigate this. Well, that's the thing. Now that's an interesting thing. An amazing number of people said, maybe it's a miracle. Maybe my cow got better because I prayed. You did. What? You prayed with no priest present? Heretic. I thought you were a witch. Now I know you're a heretic. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Torquemada is one of the people who came up and said, all right, all right, all right, all right. You need at least two reputable witnesses. No more of this Nikki said she saw Randy late at night. If 
if there were two witnesses that, reputable witnesses that had no axe to grind that saw you at home at 10 o'clock, and two or more reputable witnesses who have no axe to grind who saw you somewhere else at 10 o'clock, now we got a case. But if this... The Torquemada? Not a dime. He, he, that was not the way he worked. You can interpret this in all sorts of different ways. The Catholic Church during the Reformation considered him a hero. One writer said he was the light of Spain, the savior of his country, the honor of his order. This guy was awesome. He was a superhero of the faith because he saved Spain from Spanish heretics. Booyah. The Protestants sat there and said, he's the worst kind of sinner. He does horrible things in the name of Jesus. Ew. He's everything we're fighting against. He invented water torture, waterboarding. He invented a version of this. It's horrible. He was completely, utterly ruthless. Never backed off. Completely the most horrible things he could possibly come up with. Peeling your flesh off with hot pincers. As bad as he could make it, never backed off an inch. Vile person. He was the boogeyman of Spain. In fact, he had to go around with bodyguards because he kept getting death threats and assassination attempts from people. Bad, bad, bad guy. What did you say? Yeah. Having said that, he was also an extremely devout monk. Very simple Spartan quarters, a little monk cell. Other inquisitor generals in Portugal, in Germany, in Rome, and had like you know, palatial estates and things because they were important. And he's just like, I'm not important, I'm just doing God's will. He ate very simple meals. He ate, he lived in, he had this like, this little bunk, this little nothing. Completely genuine about the fact that he saw this as being faithful. He cried while he was torturing people because he's like, why? Why won't you confess? Could not see why they couldn't. Felt horrible about it. In fact, the whole idea of torture, let's remind ourselves, is to make it as bad as possible so that you will finally be able to relent and renounce Satan and thus save your soul. That's why they did this. To save your soul. That was the rationale. I'm not saying it's a good thing. But I'm not saying you should go, yippee! But that was the rationale. What do I have to do I'll even say, as a pastor, as a youth director, there, there are times, or even as a parent, I suppose, there are times you look at somebody and you go, what do I have to do to get through to you? How do I help you to realize that this is a bad thing? Do I have to ground you? Do I need to spank you? What do I need to do to get you not to do this self-destructive thing? What do I need to, how can I possibly bring you to Christ? How can I possibly help you to understand this? This is the oomph degree, way over the edge, crazy version of that basic mentality. So you could, as some people have argued over the years, argue that Torquemada is history's most extreme example of cruel to be kind. How do I have to hurt you? How badly do I have to hurt you to get you to stop doing this wrong thing? Even Torquemada argued to be less cruel would be to allow somebody to be damned simply because you don't have the guts to make them hurt for a second. You, you make them pay for eternity because you can't in your wussiness, make them hurt for a minute, or three days, or a week. Okay, so, do you honestly think he had a relationship with the Lord? I get devout monk, but... At this stage, I am so... I reserve so much judgment when it comes to, what about this church leader? Do you think that they had a relationship with the Lord? I'm like, I think most of the church, at this point in the game, didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Um, ironically, I think... That Torquemada, I personally genuinely think Torquemada at least was closer to having a relationship with the Lord than Sixtus was. And Sixtus didn't torture anybody. But Sixtus was slime and lived opulently, and certainly several of the popes after him were even more slimy. Torquemada, I'm not going to say he's a choir boy by any stretch. Well, maybe he might have even been a choir boy. I'm not going to say he's an awesome human being or a great saint or even necessarily a Christian. What I'm saying is that the, the, the absolute horrors he perpetrated, he seemed to have genuinely perpetrated because he genuinely believed that would save people's souls. Of a sort. Of a sort. I don't know. I don't think being massively deceived equates to having a relationship or... or I, I, didn't, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But I didn't say relationship. I, integrity, I'll give you. Where he's like... I'm. I'm doing what I genuinely believe is the right thing, and I'm doing it to the degree. So did Paul when he held the, 
the coats of the people stoning Steve had integrity. Totally wrong, but he was he was not a hypocrite about it. I would say Torquemada is totally wrong to the point where he's not even a Christian. Quite possibly, I, I wouldn't. But again, like I, I'm like very few churchmen at this stage of the game. Martin Luther at this point in the game wasn't a Christian by his own admission. It's the thing of I'm a priest and I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have a relationship with Christ, and I'm teaching people. So, by by Martin Luther's standards, let's use him since we like him. By Martin Luther's standards, no, Torquemada didn't have a relationship. Neither did Luther. So, he actually reduced the amount of torture going on in the Spanish Inquisition. Said it doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem to be helping. All we're doing is making people suffer. He instituted better rules and safeguards on those accusations like, wait, 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 wait. Let's make sure that these are reputable witnesses. Let's make sure we have at least two of them. No bribes for Inquisition members. Nothing like that. We're going to make sure that if we're doing this, we're doing this because they genuinely were witches. And for what it's worth, category. Like I was asking here, does that make him a good man or an even more heinous villain? Because he seemed to think that if you just control torture and did it for the right reasons... That's a good thing. That's a loving thing. Does that make him a better person or a more eerie kind of villain? That he actually thinks he was doing something good. He makes him evil because he's not looking at the scriptures. Jesus didn't do that to people. No. And Jesus didn't win everybody. No. I would agree. Then again, most priests weren't looking at the scriptures at this stage in the game. Again, I'm I'm not trying to do you know sympathy for Torquemada per se. I'm just like. He is painted with this broad black brush. Like, it's not that simple. It really isn't that simple. This guy thought he was doing a good thing. How many things do we do as a church? Because we're quite certain it's a good thing. We don't even necessarily need to chase it back to Scripture. It's obvious that this is a good thing, right? And it's interesting, though, that because someone under pain of torture learns out a confession, they are a Christian, that like, even the end of it doesn't necessarily make sense. No. What he's after. Well... Again, up until fairly recently, uh, I should say, even including now, people have a mistaken impression that torture is really good at getting people to, um, to tell you the truth. Torture is phenomenally good at getting people to do stuff. It's stinky bad at getting the truth out of people, because you'll get people to do anything. In fact, they'll believe what they're telling you, even, just to make the torture stop. Yeah, I was abducted by aliens 43 times. And they will genuinely believe that they were abducted by aliens 43 times because that's what makes the torture stop. They will tweak, tweak it in their own skulls. People still believe that. Um, the United States, I mean, just in the last decade, employed waterboarding to get information from people. We tortured people in the exact same way that the Spanish Inquisition tortured people to get information. We still think that this is the way. So if we look back and go, those silly people 500 years ago, you still think this. Um, people still feel like if I, just, if I just yell at you enough, I'm going to get you to agree with me. Which is, by the way, the exact same path here, right? If I coerce you, then you'll agree with me. No, you might say that you agree with me. But it doesn't mean you do. You've coerced me. Welcome to the Spanish Inquisition. You're doing the same thing. Um, the times where we as a church say, Give me an example of something we're quite certain makes total sense, even though it's flat out against scripture. Giving you the example before the uh, of, of church that sits there and says, we did an outreach to the inner city, but we got the wrong kind of people in, and they're really messy kind of people, so we asked them to leave. We have a much healthier church now. It makes total sense. It's a much healthier church. It doesn't smell as bad. We don't have as many of those icky centers. You're going flat out against scripture. Absolutely flat out against scripture, and you are blithely, blissfully happy in doing so. We still do the same sort of thing. Which is not to get him off the hook, but rather to say, perhaps the Spanish Inquisition is not a unique hook. Uh, in fact, it may not have been as bad as everybody says, in the grand scheme of things. Spain and Portugal were rising as major players, right? They're the big coming thing. So the other European uh, nations began embellishing what they refer to as the Black Legend. You know, everything that comes from the Iberian Peninsula is bad. They're dark. They're vile. They're evil. They've been infected by Moorishness. <laughs> right? Let's make them look bad. It's good business to make them the bad guys. They're the bad guys. Everything coming out of Spain is 
is insidious. Even their music has a minor key to it. Not like our good stuff. So you begin getting this sense of the paler-complected, lighter-skinned people in the north disliking the darker-skinned people in the south. This is not the beginning of that necessarily, but this is kind of kicking in in force in a more institutional sense. It's good business to say that they're the bad guys. We don't like them. Why? Because they're doing well. We're not as much. The German Holy Roman Empire is shrinking. Poor England is sitting there going, we've only got half an island. You know, so it's like, they're not doing as well. But these Suwarthi people down south, they seem to think they know everything. They're vile. In all, according to their own records, less than 2,000 people died in the 27 years of Isabel's reign of the, of the Spanish Inquisition. Only, only 15 of that had anything with Torquemada's leadership. Now, thousands more were tortured. I'm not saying this is a little thing. But that's 2,000 people in almost 30 years. Compare that to 500 people that Matthew Hopkins, as the self-proclaimed witchfinder general, killed in less than two years in England. This guy, by the way, did it because he liked to hurt people. He did it because he genuinely thought it was going to save your soul. Matthew Hopkins, he just liked to hurt. He liked torturing. Any city he went to, he always found at least a handful of people to kill. You realize 500 people in less than two years. Wendy and I were talking about this the other day. That's about a person a day. You find somebody to kill every day. Not to mention, what, two, three times as many people that he tortured to death? How many different women he raped because he could? This is, the, this is, you want to look for somebody evil? This guy is evil. This guy is unrelentingly evil. Or the 900 people that Nicholas Ramey killed in France in his decade of witch trials. This, this guy hated witches. A witch supposedly cursed his son to death. Cursed his son and then his son died. Therefore, obviously, the witch did it. He killed 900 people because he hated them. He oversaw the death of many people because he genuinely thought he was going to save their souls. He liked hurting people. He was angry. Who's worse? I'm not even going to argue who's worse. I'm just going to say it's different in different ones. That's not even add. There's a gazillion witch finders running around, even in France, looking for witches and killing them. People are dying by the tens of thousands during the Renaissance, during these witch trials, trying to figure out what's going on with all these horrible witches. In fact, even though the Spanish Inquisition, I mean, it's the classic example of judgmentalism, we're going to even joke about their judgmentalism, it's really not that much different from all the other people. If anything, it's a little bit more controlled and a little bit less vile than all the other ones. It's just that it was a Spanish Inquisition. And all the people that are making the history notes that you read weren't from Spain. So they come off as worse than they actually were. In fact, 1484, Pope Innocent issues this bull that, uh, that was influenced by this German Dominican witch hunter named Heinrich Kramer, who wrote a book called The Hammer of the Witches uh, that became this, the encyclopedia. Everybody's reading this thing. This, this tells you exactly how witches work and how many of them are there. And they're just all over the place. Witches everywhere. Everywhere. This thing that the Pope wrote, um, which was called uh, the Sumus Desiderantes Affectus, the Desiring the Supreme Ardor, gave expanded powers to inquisitions to hunt down and punish witches. They could enter your house. Every prince had to follow everything they were saying, yada, yada. We've got to just, like this Ebola virus is out of control, we just got to really clamp down. This witch virus is out of control, we've got to really clamp down. Anything that the inquisition needs to do or say or anything, let them do it. No question asked, ever. It was believed that Europe is infested with witches. They sold their souls to Satan, were performing spells to blast, to curse people, um, livestock, uh, villages, etc. And that led to this widespread paranoia. Because everybody assumed that if I had a crop failure, if we can't have a child, all this must be due to local witches who are running around doing stuff. Right? No, it couldn't be that. It couldn't be just ripple effects of living in a broken world. Now, the irony is, it's kind of true. A little bit. It's maybe a bit true. Because there were a lot of witches running around. There were a lot of people. If you say, you and your family do not get to pray, you do not get to read a Bible, you do not get to discuss theology, only the priest gets to do that. And on Sundays, when you hear the homily, he's not going to discuss theology and doctrine. He's just going to tell you you need to give to the church, and the church needs to control your sinfulness and give you penance and things. Strangely, you're going to drift into superstitious folk magic, right? How do you, you've got a sick cow, what are you going to do? 
Call the priest. He's too busy being a priest. He doesn't want to come over. Pray? Can't pray. You'll get in trouble for that. So what do you do? Well, my grandma used to do. Back in the day. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Tell me, how do we still do this today? You ever run into people that still kind of, oh, they know better, but they still kind of drift into superstition? Salter of the shoulder. You want to sell your house, you put a specific saint statuette of a saint upside down in your front yard. Astrology. Astrology? Yeah. Peoria, you get signs up. Yep. Read your horse. Read your horse. Now, I don't think it's true, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that really is in that. I mean, it's just... My grandmother was a devout Christian. She was very upset because I being the youngest of her grandchildren, she had failed in everybody taking up astrology. Mm -hmm. Oh, for that matter, how do you decide what sex your baby's going to be? Well, if you... Half a dozen stupid crap. <laughs> Both theology it things. Was fun. It was fun. Oh, <laughs> thank you for totally proving my point. No, I didn't believe it, but I really wanted to see what toilet Thank you for totally proving. No, I know what you're saying, but that's the thing. I didn't believe it. But I still went to the to that palm reader because I thought it would be interesting. Same thing. Fortune cookies. Fortune cookies. Just so you know, toilet bowl your styrofoam cup. Don't do it. Never plan to. So yeah, but that's the thing. The things that we go, oh, okay, yeah, this is bad, but this is kind of still fun. I mean, this is still fun to do. You go, drawn to it, even though it's it's inappropriate. I knew a guy that drove uh, his his wife when I was working in Cincinnati. He had heart problems. Um, she drove him past the world class heart hospital in Cincinnati to drive him down into the into the Appalachian Mountains, where his grandmother and the guy was like. Randy's age, you know, his grandmother applied a poultice to his chest to help him with his heart problems. And you go, how how old is his grandmother? His grandmother's like 50 years older than him, and he was in his 50s. Oh my! So anyway, goes to totally works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So where was this? <laughs> no, that will not help your sinuses. What? What'd you say? Well, because, you know, like Ross has a friend who uh, has you know, a medicine act. I think he's not delivering it yet. I'm just trying to use And he uh, wanted to do surgery here. He said, oh, I'm going to go back home. So he went back home where they applied for the medicinal household. He said, I'm going to go back home. And he went away. Okay, so, I'm not necessarily talking about alternative medicinal techniques where. If you're having a heart problem, I mean, your heart muscles, you're having heart attacks, and somebody says, I'm going to put hot mustard on your chest, it's not going to do it. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying, that that there are some things where acupuncture can uh, stimulate or destimulate nerve endings and reduce physical pain. You go, yeah, that's that's not folk medicine. That There's a logic to that. The idea that it's actually realigning key points, so the lines of of key energy in your body are, are changed and really like no that's crap. But the idea that it actually might help with nerve endings, you go, that's science. Yeah, I can totally see where that goes. Sometimes that is fine, sometimes a placebo is just as good as the real stuff because Absolutely. of the thinking. Right. But we're talking about superstition and, 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 and falling superstition because truth is taken out of these people's hands. And we're having people who are doing who are actually saying, I'm going to do not just alternative medicinal things that are not necessarily the way somebody would do it in a Western hospital, but mystical things, because that will allow, allow nature's forces to come into your life and, and help you. Even, even calling in spirits who will help you to do different things. Arguably, you could say a lot of the saint worship that the Catholic Church devised didn't actually come from up on top. It actually came from grassroots efforts from, from, from people. Oh, um, you get this witch hunt thing going on. Um, he also called for a crusade against the Waldensians, because we haven't had a crusade against those guys for a while. 
So we really need to kill more of them. And to pay for this, he sold indulgences. You will get automatically forgiven for anything that you're going to do, so you can rape and pillage as many Waldensian towns as you want here in Europe, as long as you give us money in advance. Um, he also he also said, you know, let's just do, totally do simony. Let's just open it up. Let's invent new offices in Rome and then auction them off to people. Um, you're going to be the secretary of the wine cellar. I need a secretary of the wine cellar. That's going to cost at least $10,000 a year for you. So, but, but then you'll be working in the Vatican. Everybody can tell you, you know, you worked in the Vatican. So he does all this stuff to get money for this, uh, which is not a good thing. Right? And this is exactly what the church has said for years that you shouldn't do. And he dies in 1492 from an illness. 1492 is a big year, and not just on the screen. It's huge. It's huge. Especially for Spain. For, okay, I have yeah. one question, though. On the witches thing, uh -huh. the one thing, you know, the, the big thing with the New Salem here in our country, mm -hmm. I never understood that if the witches were so bad and had all these things, how did they think they could control the witches to kill them? Well, I mean, witches aren't all powerful. I mean, even a werewolf, if you got that silver bullet, man, you can take them out. Yeah, so it's like, witches can mess with your cow and can mess with your family, whatever. Um, Kramer, the guy that I talked about, the German, the German guy that wrote The Hammer of the Witches, said witches can't do anything against an inquisitor because he works for Jesus. So obviously a witch, a witch cannot curse anybody. I remember hearing pastors talk about, well, obviously a demon can't do anything to you because you're a Christian. Right? You're Exactly, exactly. How could you possibly be possessed or oppressed by a demon if you've got the Holy Spirit in you? Because a demon can't be where the Spirit is. Yeah. Wait, Satan was in the throne room of God, chatting with God. Wait, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Are you saying the Holy Spirit is only in your heart? What exactly is your argument? Is there anything in Scripture that says that you can't be demonically oppressed if you're a Christian? But you can't. Why? Because of this rule you just invented? No, you can't hear of course not. So if you do, stop it. You know, it's just all in your mind. Anyway, um, but that's the thing is, it, it, we, we're forever inventing those kinds of rules to say, oh, we, we can do this. If you just wear the crazy bird suit, the plague can't get you, right? If you're if you're a, a priest or if you are a um, if you're an inquisitor, then uh, then the witches can't get you. It doesn't work like that. So you know, good for you. Okay, three different reasons why I'm going to say that Spain had a big year in 1492. Okay, first one, 1492, Fernando said, the most important year, because this is the year that... No! This is the year that we defeat Granada and finally kick the last Jew and Muslim out of Spain. Fernando was quite certain that's what he's going to be remembered for. This is what everybody... If they make a movie called 1492, it's going to be about the fact that we finally beat Granada. That's what's going to happen. They issued something called the Alhambra Decree, saying that Jews are attempting to, quote, subvert their holy Catholic faith and trying to draw faithful Christians away from their beliefs. Because that's what Jews do all the time. They just run around trying desperately. Yes? Okay, so in Spain? Uh, in, 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 in Spain, he's mostly known for uniting Spain. And that's his big thing. They're like, he's the stud who united Spain. Ooh, made fun of poor Portugal. Oh, you're little over there. We're huge. That's right. Um... So all Jews are given three months to leave the kingdom on pain of death. Any Jew who is still a Jew at the end of these three months, you haven't converted to Christianity, you haven't left, will kill you. By the way, you can't take any money with you because it's Spanish money. So you have to convert all the goods and then take the goods with you. You go, do you realize how expensive it is to cart goods everywhere? I can't. But you can't take gold. It's anything that's money, anything that's minted, anything that's precious metals, you can't take that. So it's got to be converted over to textiles and things. Take that. Buy a boat, maybe. Actually, a lot of them did. I've got a boat. I'm going to go buy a boat. Um, so you got upwards of 200,000 to 800,000 Jews being suddenly dispossessed, including 100,000 that were kicked out of Sicily, because remember, this is all Spanish territory, right? So all these Jews being kicked out, a lot of them went to North Africa, because we've already seen in centuries past they've had a good relationship with the Moors down here in, in Africa, so they at least tried this. Interestingly, the Ottomans said, you can come to Ottoman territory, you ridiculously wealthy Jews. Um, we're fine to give you haven. We're going to send the entire Ottoman navy to safely take you from Spain and from Sicily over to Thessalonica. 
Knock yourselves out. Live in Greece. It's wonderful territory. You'll love it. Olive trees. It's pretty. Um, and bring, bring whatever money you next time you want. That's, that's fine with me. Which is why we'll send you big boats. Armed boats. Make the Spanish tell you you can't bring your money. We say you can. Bring your money. Hong Kong, we'd love for you to be part of China. Just love you, because you're a filthy stinking wealthy. Anyway, so the Ottomans are actually helping out. This is cool. Thousands more said, all right, we'll convert to Christianity. Of course, that just fueled the Spanish Inquisition, right? Because they're like, you didn't really convert. You just converted so you can stay. We're going to torture you until you tell us the real truth. Not a good time for Jews. Anywhere in Europe, but especially not in Spanish territories. Or in Portugal, who did this very soon afterwards, or Italy, who did this soon after that. Lots of different places where they're being kicked out. Ironically, one of the places where they're most welcome was Germany. <laughs> Which is why there's still so many of them in Germany. Anyway, yes, this is also the same year that Columbus sailed to the New World, right? So, But that isn't the thing that Fernando thought that was going to be the cool part. It's like, yeah, yeah, New World. But what he really thought was going to be the, the whole... The whole finishing the Reconquista. Uh, 780 years of trying to get our, our country back. When I was a kid, and we talked about this briefly in, in, West, in Wednesday night, but when I was a kid, Columbus was a hero. He discovered America, right? Every school kid knew that. Um, in fact, I, said, I remember getting in trouble with a teacher for saying, I thought Leif Erikson actually discovered America 500 years before that. And she's just like, that's a legend. It didn't actually happen. Columbus is a state hero because I can put That's right. Like Casimir Pulaski. Hey, 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 hey. Casimir Pulaski is actually cool. I'm not saying he wasn't. I just remember I remember when that happened as a school kid. They're like, hey, we need a Polish holiday. Who's a Polish guy? Casimir Pulaski. Let's take him. Exactly. He was My high school was named Christopher Columbus. That's right, because he was a hero, right? Other people had discovered America before that. They were called Indians when I was a kid, right? So there were people here when he discovered America, right? I love that. It's, ah, new territory. Nobody's here. We're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Washington <laughs> State doesn't celebrate Columbus yeah. Day. They've switched to Native. It's Indigenous People's Day. Because if you'll notice, Columbus brought flags. Native Americans didn't have flags. Therefore, we get the land. First one to plant a flag. You were too stupid to plant a flag. I don't care if you were here for thousands of years. Okay. Today we learn the truth is that he's an imperialistic cultural rapist, right? He's just a horrible individual. Rotten, rotten, rotten. Evil, evil, evil. And he accidentally Never happened. What? Never happened. We'll have to discuss it. We don't have time to do this today, but we're... What? I missed this part. He never what? She said, also, unintentional biological warfare. When the Spanish came over, they, they killed millions of Native Americans with smallpox and other that European is. diseases. Never happened. But we will talk about that at another time. We don't have time for that today. Um, but he was renowned for his cruelty as governor. He became governor. He was really quite a jerk. Then again, there were a lot of really quite a jerks running around in the Renaissance, weren't there? You go, well, he was renowned for his cruelty. Well, so was what? Well, so was Matthew. Well, so was Thomas. Lots of cruelty running around. That was kind of the way to rule at that time. Machiavelli we'll talk about later on, actually wrote a book saying, cruelty is the way to go. If you're going to be a king, if you're going to be a prince, it's better to be feared than to be loved, because that sticks with people. If you don't keep them happy today, they won't still love you. But if you hurt them and scared them yesterday, they'll still be scared of you today, and they'll still be scared of you tomorrow. So cruelty is the way to go. Oh, really? Well, there are a lot of commanders in particular that sit there and go, uh, I don't want my men to like me. I want my men to fear me. If they like me, they will probably do what I ask them to do. If they fear me, they will definitely do what I tell them to do. Yeah. And last night we went to see the Dracula movie. Did you cut Vlad's story quite Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he looked like this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll work on that. Okay. As always, truth about Columbus, smidge a bit more complicated than all that. Christopher, actually, he was Italian, so you call it Cristoforo Colombo, right? Though the Spanish, it's Cristobal Colón, right? Actually, though, he did he wasn't Italian, he was Ligurian, so it's Cristofo Corombo, is what his mom would call him. Which, if you Latinize, is Christophorus Columbus, 
And since we, we try to avoid all the pluses that we can in English because that makes us sound Roman, Christopher Columbus, right? So anyway, Christopher Columbus is from this port city of Genoa. And, uh, pardon me? Genoa, Genoa, how do you? I love Genoese salami. Okay, all right. But he went to Lisbon to earn his his fortune. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get filthy rich off of King Chow. And he says, I'm gonna sail west to find the Far East. I've got this figured out. It's complicated to go east eastwardly, so I'm gonna go east westwardly. Because you can do that, right? Why can you if you go far enough west? Why are you gonna end up east? Why is that true? Because it's round. Like most Europeans, he knew that it wasn't flat. Nobody thought the Earth was flat. Well, actually, even most of the Catholics didn't think the Earth was flat at this time. Most everybody knew that it was round. Uh, your grandfather knew it was round. Well, I, um, I don't know about his grandfather, but I mean, he'd read several different people. He'd read all the, all the Greeks who had specifically explained that it was round. He knew all about the whole idea of longitudes and latitudes. and things. Yeah, he knew it was round. Most people knew it was round. I mean, there might have been farmers that thought it was flat. In India, they still thought it was flat and on the back of a turtle. So, I mean, yes, there's still some people, but most of the people in Europe knew that it was round. So, another childhood myth out the corner. All right. But he estimated that the, the, the Japans were only about 2,000 kilometers away, or 2,000 miles away. He was off by about 9,000 miles. But he's like, if I just go about 2,000 miles, I'll be able to make it. Zhao said, I got Africa. What do I care? Plus, it's west of Africa. That would be Spanish territory. I don't care. I can't go there. I'm not interested. He's like, but you guys are the coming things. Don't care. I got Africa. Go away. So he did. He went to Fernando and Isabel in Spain. And he said, I got an idea. I'm going to go west. And they said, well, we've got money, but we can't go down to, we can't go down to Africa or east by sea. Why not? That's right. That's Portugal's. The Pope said Portugal gets all that stuff. We don't get that stuff. And thanks to the Ottomans, it's not like we can go over land. We used to be able to go to Constantinople and trot over. We can't do that now. There is no Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul. And it's all green over there. We can't do that. We can't do that anymore. Now, the scientific advisor sat there and said, you do realize he's an idiot. It doesn't work like that. Our ships can't go 2,000 miles. No ships can go 2,000 miles. And it's a heck of a lot longer than 2,000 miles. He's wrong. He's totally wrong. You get that, right? And so at first they said, no, go away. But then Isabel's courtiers went, wait a minute, wait a minute. What have you got to lose? Who cares? Give him a couple of ships. What's the worst that can happen? He goes and dies at sea. No skin off your nose. But if he actually gets it, so they went, okay, sure. Give you three ships. Lots of promises. You're an admiral. You got three ships. If you get there, you get to be governor. You get 10% of everything you find there. Good luck. God bless you. We think you're great. He sails off. They go, last time we're going to see that guy. Now, if I'm storming the castle, you think it's going to work? Not a, not a chance. It would be a miracle. There's no way that this is going to work. If it does, great. We'll get filthy, stinking rich. Odds are it's not going to work. The guy's going to die at sea. We'll never see him again. So, five weeks to cross the ocean in, what are the names of the ships? The Santa Maria, the Pinta, and the Santa Clara, right? The three ships. The Santa Clara that the crews nicknamed Nina, or Little Girl. Right? So, the Santa Clara. None of them are very big. I mean, look here. This is the size of a guy. That's a, that's a human being right there, standing on this deck. And that's the big one. So, can you imagine being at sea for five weeks on that? Realizing that you've gone farther than anybody should be able to go on a ship like this, and that it's going to fall apart soon, and you've run out of everything? And you would really, really, really like to see land soon? Because you haven't even just been at sea, but you can You can go on it. There are various replicas. Yeah, it is tiny. It's itty bitty tiny. Yeah, this wasn't taken in 1492. This is a, a replica. Yeah. <laughs> My buddies crossed it three times in a 26 footer. That's right. Yippee. That's cool, yeah. Um, the Irish monks did it in skiffs. So, hey, we're including that. But, uh, to his credit, Columbus wrote in his personal log that his primary motivation was to share the gospel. I want to I share Christianity to these people. Extremely devout, got even more devout as he got older. He was really big into end times prophecies. He, he would have loved some of the guys that you talked about on the radio. It was like 
He just loved reading books about end times. Wrote a book about prophecies where he said, the end times are coming soon and my voyages to the new world are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth and that is what will bring Jesus back. That and the fact that we have the last Christian emperors in Fernando and Isabella. So the final Christian emperor, Jesus is coming back. Um, we're obviously in the Revelation end times. It's very, very clear. When you, like you, so when you look at stuff that's going on in the Renaissance, you go, well, obviously, it's, it's about as bad as it can get. God's going to come back. Most people don't realize he actually did four voyages. It wasn't just one voyage. And then he was there as a governor for an extended period of time. However, he got kind of starky as he got older as governor. Power kind of got to his head. He tended to order public torture and humiliation to his enemies. Like when a woman said that she, he was kind of too low-born to be the governor, um, his brother Bartolomeo um, stripped her naked, chopped off her nose and her tongue, and made her walk through the city. And um, so everybody could see her humiliation. And Columbus said, exactly. He wrote a book called The Book of Privileges where he said, let me list all the favors and things that I'm entitled to, all the things that Spain is supposed to give me, only some of which actually were what Spain was supposed to give me. He was removed as governor in 1500 on charges of tyranny and despotism. Obviously, kind of, kind of earned those charges. So Spain sat there and said, well, we owe you nothing. We promised you 10% and that you could be governor, but since you're a bad governor, you get nothing. So, is Columbus a good Christian or a cruel tyrant? Was he an explorer or an opportunist? Oh, geez. Yes. <laughs> Arguably, you can say yes. He's more complicated than the hero I heard when I was a kid, and he's more complicated than the cultural rapist that people talk about today. He was a complicated individual, just like Tomas de Torquemada was a complicated individual, just like um, Nicholas Rainey was a complicated individual, just like Sixtus. You go, oh, he's horrible. Well, but he also wanted to free people who had been inappropriately accused. These are complicated individuals, not just names in a book, right? Okay. Upon the death of Nicholas VIII, because remember he died in 1492, Spanish Cardinal Rodrigo Borja, Rodrigo Borja becomes the new Pope, Alexander VI. Do we only have one Pope at this time now? Yep, we're back to one Pope, and we get a doozy in Rodrigo. I say that people are complicated individuals. I would put Rodrigo Borja as one of the most vile human beings who ever lived. I would, I would sit there and say, Torquemada seems like Cliff, by comparison to me, with Rodrigo Borgia. And that's not a diss on Cliff. That's that's a diss on Rodrigo here. This is this guy is absolute horror. If there was one individual, just one, that led up to the, the Reformation, it would be him. And that's where we'll leave off and come back next week with Pope Alexander VI. Where would you say the world is at this stage? How would you describe what it means to be a Christian and to be part of the church? You can totally see why Columbus is feeling that, don't you? You can totally get that. You also understand, like, you know, even though there were movies and stuff where people were so scared of any soldier or anybody coming into their town, <coughs> this makes even more sense to me now why they were so scared of anybody. Oh, yeah. Do you have any faith in authority at all? That they're actually going to help you? Which helps you to understand even a little bit today, like in the inner city, where you go, people sit there and say, I got absolutely no, no respect for the cops, no respect for city hall, got no respect for authority, and we sit and go, but they're there to help you. Really? Do they see any of that? It's like, the only people I see in charge down here on the streets are drug dealers and corrupt cops. Uh, city officials come down around election time, say something, and they leave. So I don't. I just don't trust anybody. Why would I put my confidence in any of this? I can earn more selling drugs uh, in, a, in a week than I could at McDonald's for ten years. Um, why would I do this? So at this time, they're like, I don't trust anybody. I, oh, there's a new pope. He's going to make everything better. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Oh, there's a new king. Yeah, and strangely, I don't think he cares whether I exist or not. All I am is, is money and a plate to these people. I, I'm nothing. So, yeah, you can see why anybody comes in to do anything, they're like, oh, that's it for us. I mean, this is, this is bad. And you just get used to it. Um, and because of that, you get very nihilistic. You know, they came and took your daughter, and you go, well, at least I've got two others. So I came out ahead.
Well, that's the thing is, it's you, you've got to kind of triangulate what various people are saying because any one given historian, you got to, you can't necessarily believe. Um, but you uh, find the people that have the least amount of axe to grind. Um, find if three or four different historians say stuff. For instance, that Rodrigo Borgia's own masters of ceremony go, yeah, it's pretty much hell here in the Vatican. You just go, not just the Protestants, but the people involved are going. I feel like I every time I'm in the in, in the in the presence of the Pope, I got to go home and take a shower. You know, it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure this guy's bad. You know, that's that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you you gotta. There's no way to know. Just like there's no way to know today. If if three people say I saw exactly what happened, then that's what happened, right? No, but you got to make your best guess. You got to give some credits to common sense of how you observe human nature yourself. And the fact is, as I've said before, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we're seeing a lot of that in, at the stage in the, in the game where you go, when you remove, when you remove grace, unmerited favor from the equation, things wobble out of control. When it starts becoming, well, you've got to prove that you're good enough. You've got to earn this. You've got to. This guy's a better, more holy person than you. Therefore, he kind of has authority over you because of this. The more you do that, then you start justifying X, and X helps to justify Y, and Y helps to justify Z. Which helps justify purple, which helps justify it. You just go, you just completely wobble out of control, which is part of why I keep coming back to saying the importance of being Korean. Go back to scripture as much as possible and double check everything. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of all this, we do still have the Waldensians. Even in the midst of this, we have the Hussites. Even in the midst of this, we have. Uh, good priests who are trying to be good priests, like Luther and Calvin and Simons. So we've got, we've got people who are trying to hold on to truth. Even in the midst of so many people doing so much evil, I thank you, Lord, that you give us the wisdom to be able to see, even today, where, where we can step off of your path and to read your scripture and help through your Holy Spirit's leading to get back on the path. So I pray, Lord, help us to have your heart. Help us to have your perspective. Not just what seems to make sense to us or seems Judeo-Christian to us, Help us, Lord, to genuinely do what is biblically true. In Jesus' name.